Hi everyone, I hope you're having an amazing day. Today I wanted to talk about the importance of focusing on outcome versus activities. And I'll get into uh, a little bit uh, to explain what exactly do we mean. Here's an interesting thing to think about. Every time you meet somebody new, the typical thing we say is, hey, so what do you do? And you're going to hear things like, oh, I'm in finance, or I work for a computer company, or, uh, you know, I work in a hotel, or, you know, you get some type of job description or function. But let's take the hospitality industry, for example. You know, may hear people say, well, I work at Walt Disney World, or I work in a hotel, or I work in a restaurant or a bar. These are all activities, what you never really hear is somebody say, for example, I bring joy to a lot of people on vacation. And that last statement is more of an outcome versus activity-based. So it's interesting, even, you know, it, it that, that question just shows you how primed we are to always think about our world as activities versus outcomes. And so let's jump in and talk about what is the difference. And in the most simplistic way, activities are the things you do, right? So you have to do stuff, but they're the things that you do to achieve the outcomes that you need to achieve. But why do we care about outcomes? Well, we care about outcomes because outcomes are the things that you need to achieve in order to be successful. And you get to define your outcomes. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to take you to be successful you go through a process, and we'll talk about that in this chat. You go through a process to figure out what's important to you and what outcomes you need to achieve. And if you can achieve those outcomes, then you'll be successful. I'll tell you a quick story. And some of you, if you've listened to my podcast, you may have heard this story before, but it's a good illustration about how rampant this thought process is of focusing on outcomes and I'm mean, excuse me, focusing on activities and not outcomes, just how rampant that is, especially in the business world. So many years ago, started working with a big team. Um, it was a manager, over like 28 data analysts. And we were in charge of improving product quality for a major PC manufacturer. So we go over to the team and we say, hey guys, we're new, you're new, you know, we, we don't know each other. So we said to them, explain to us what value your team brings to the company. And they said, well, we've got 28 people that analyze call data and we look for quality problems. And we thought, wow, that's, a, that's really good. That's a good start. So our follow-up question is, oh, so you help to improve product quality. And they started saying, well... We analyzed a lot of cases, and then we said, well, what do you do with that information? And the answer was, well, let's, we'll, we'll, get, we'll send you the distribution list. And we're like, well, we didn't ask you for a distribution list. We want to know if you're performing some activity, what outcome are you trying to achieve? And the guy said, well, you know, there's about 218 people on this distribution list, so a lot of people find it useful. We dug a little bit more into this team and we said, okay, so explain what you do. And they said, we look at all of these call cases that come in for people who have problems with the computers 
and we try to find systemic quality issues and we try to hand those over to the engineering team. We go, ah, now we're getting somewhere. So you've got this great process where you work side by side with the engineering team to fix what you find as quality issues. He goes, well, not exactly. We send them emails about what we find and we go, well, how do you know what they fix and what they don't fix? And they go, well, it's up to them. So we came back to the team and we said, well, what are your metrics? How do you know when you're being successful? And the guy said, well, it's, it's, basic, it's based on the number of cases each analyst can read per day. And we said, really? So if you're a speed reader, you can be a rock star on this team. And he smiled because he realized that was just the wrong metric. But you can see in this example where it is a very activity-driven team, just 28 people generating a lot of activity. But we asked them, we said, in the past 12 months, how many quality issues were identified, given to the engineering team, they actually agreed it was an issue, and the issue got resolved? And sadly, the answer was either none or maybe one. So 28 people plus a manager, years worth of work, a lot of activity, no outcomes. And that's classic. That that just happens so much in business. And you know, I have my I have my um my I suppose my opinion about why that is. And I believe it happens because this notion of activity and busy work, it's very seductive because I think everybody really comes to work every day to try to do good, to offer some value. The problem is we bury ourselves way down in the bottom of the chunk and we just start churning away at busy work because it makes us feel engaged. It makes us feel accomplished. Do we actually accomplish anything? In most cases, no. But you go home feeling, wow, I, I read 10 more cases than I read yesterday. Feel good about myself, right? And here's the deal, though. The reason it's important to focus on outcomes and not activities, especially work, is if you want to move up and be successful in an organization, then you have to deliver outcomes. Whether we like it or not, most organizations are meritocracies. So let's look at this definition. What is a meritocracy? And dictionary definition of a meritocracy is a system, organization, or a society in which people are chosen and move into positions of success, power, and influence on the basis of, get this, on the basis of their demonstrated abilities, that's a past tense statement, their demonstrated abilities, and merit, which is another word for outcomes. Both of those are past tense, right? So you have to have delivered outcomes through demonstrated abilities. Let's take a quick look at the word merit, right? Merit, again, dictionary definition, is conduct deserving reward, honor, or esteem. The word conduct is also in the past tense. So I always get the question, well, I'm early in my career. I think I'm going to go focus a lot on certifications and, and educating myself. You know what? If you need to do that to deliver an outcome, great. But there are some people who, when they go off and get certified in something, they come back to work the next day and go, I should get a raise. And the the the, the manager's saying, well, why? 
This is a meritocracy. By educating yourself, have you demonstrated an ability? Well, no, but, but I know how. I, I know how to be a better program manager now. Well, I don't know. You got to go prove it, right? So in a meritocracy, there are certain things that have to happen for you to be able to succeed. And we talked about that. It's really demonstrating abilities and merit. Because if you think about it, in most companies, when do you get more money? You get more money at the end of the year if you're doing well. They might give you, some companies actually call them merit increases, salary increases, the merit increase. Another form of compensation is a bonus. You might get a cash bonus at the end of the year, or you get promoted to the next higher level with more responsibilities and, of course, more money. So again, all of these reward mechanisms, the merit increase, the bonus, and the promotions, they're all based on demonstrated abilities and merit. So how do we go about improving our abilities? Which abilities are the ones that are important? And I can't tell you specifically for your job industry, but what I can tell you is across the board, the abilities that are important to succeed in any company, profit, for-profit, non-profit, even in life in general, right, um, is, there, there are three. The first one is job knowledge. Job knowledge is very, it's very, it, it's, it tends to be specific about the type of job, function, role, or industry you're in, right? If you decide to be a program manager, that may be going off and getting your PMI certification and go ahead, you know, or whatever in other industry you're in, right? This is where you go off and you learn the things that are unique to your industry. That's specific job knowledge. It could be, again, practices or even processes unique to the company you're in, whatever. That's job knowledge. The next ability that you have to be able to to grow in is the ability to deal with more complex situations, things that are complex um, in terms of just complexity and scope. And oh, let, let me go back a little bit. Uh, let me go back to job knowledge because what I want to do is contrast uh, contrast somebody first coming in straight out of school or or whatever, starting out early in their career to somebody who's at the end of their career. In at the very bottom of the ladder, you may have these entry-level positions where literally what they come in with is just pure academic education, high school education, four-year degree, or whatever. Toward the end of your career, from a job knowledge perspective, you may, you probably should, uh, if you're at the top of your field, possess unique knowledge. That's knowledge that not very many people have in your field. Right. So that that's and then of course you have everything in between. So that's an idea of of how you can increase in job knowledge. From a complexity and scope, when you first start out in your entry-level positions, you may be able to just handle one single task non-simultaneously with with nothing else. Just you do one task. That's the very, very bottom of complexity and scope. At the very top of that is where you're actually leading multiple teams. Well, let me get to leading in a second. But where you understand and can thrive, not just in tasks, but multiple processes, procedures, and a scope. Basically, you should be able to tackle any problem that comes up in the most complex organizations that exist. You know, that's, that's what's on the other end of complexity and scope. And as you can see, 
having to do these things simultaneously with more job knowledge, more complexity and scope, the curve gets a little bit harder. And finally, the third thing, the third type of ability that you need to achieve is autonomy. At the very bottom, when you first come in, you're being told what to do almost day to day, right? Do this today, do that tomorrow. You're being fed, right? Everything you need to do. You're not very autonomous. At the very other end of that scale, you are actually directing multiple people or groups or functions. You're, you know, so you're the one, um, not only are you yourself, you know, autonomous, where meaning you can operate on your own in ambiguity, but you're also setting policy direction strategy for others as well. So again, let me recap those three abilities. It's job knowledge, complexity and scope, and the ability to be autonomous in your work, right? So those are some key abilities that you want to go focus on growing. And the problem with this is, Imagine that there's a, just just picture in your mind, just a horizontal line. And what that line is going to represent is that, remember, we talked about a meritocracy. It, that line's going to represent the demonstrated performance that is required to go to the next level. And let's say that that line is, is somewhere, I don't know, if you get a piece of paper, it's halfway up the paper, right? Now let's come back to those three things we talked about, job knowledge, complexity, and scope, and autonomy. And let's say for this example, you know, you're, you're not quite ready yet for the next level. So all of the skills you have in those three categories, they're, they're in the red because you're just not there yet. So with job knowledge, let's say that one's in the red, it's well below the bar. You go off and you say, you know what, I want to be a program manager. So let me go study to be a program manager and let me go get PMI certified. Well, guess what? That may move you out of red to yellow but you're still below the line because you've not yet demonstrated the ability to perform at the next level. Demonstrated knowledge is ability, right? So before you get promoted, you actually have to go off and do the work to show that you can get promoted to the next level. Now, some people go do this and they go, yep, okay, I'm all ready to go. And I'm like, well, hold on. Let's look at how much complexity and scope you can handle. The next level requires you, let's say if you're a program manager, to be a program manager of multiple processes. Right now, you may have the job knowledge to run a project, but only a single project. The, the requirements for the next level requires you to handle three simultaneous projects, which is a program, and you don't have the ability to do that yet. So go work on your ability to increase your complexity and scope. And finally, autonomy. You know, your manager comes to you and says, hey, this is a problem. Go fix it. You're like, well, I don't know what to do. I know the mechanics of running a project, but I don't know where to start. Again, can't deal with ambiguity, then you don't have enough autonomy to move to the next level. So you've got to make sure that for job knowledge, complexity and uh, complexity and scope and autonomy, you're dem you've demonstrated that you are past the required level of performance for the next level. So how do we go develop these abilities to deliver outcomes? And the first tip is you have to go develop the right skills. And the, the way I want to talk about it is, look, there's, there's so many skills that one could develop. And 
at the end of the day, what you should do is take a balanced approach to personal and professional development. Let's take a look at a few categories of skills and competencies, right? First is one that most people gravitate to, which is where they put a lot of time and effort, which is in operating skills. These are things like process management, um, time management, planning, organizing, priority setting, decision making, process management. I think I mentioned that, you know, managing through systems. This is where people go off and get their certifications in, in many of these areas, right? Here's the thing. Um, everybody else is doing that. So when, when you talk about competition in the skills area, there's a lot of competition in the operating skills area because I'll be honest with you. Those skills are relatively easier to acquire than some of the other skills I want to talk about. So some of the other skills I want to talk about are things like strategic skills. What is your ability to make good decisions? What is your ability to problem solve? What is your ability to deal with ambiguity? What is your ability to innovate or have strategic agility, right? Or your business acumen, a little bit tougher. How about things like courage, conflict management, standing alone on a position you believe in, sizing people up and telling other people that they're not up for the task to be on the team, right? What about your command skills? How about energy and drive? Are you action-oriented? Do you have perseverance? Do you drive for results every day as opposed to the team of 28 people who are really just driving for activity every day? How about, um, here's one that I, I think people don't really pay attention to, but it's very important, which is your organizational positioning skills. How much, you know, whether you like it or not, how politically savvy are you? What is your written communication ability, your presentation skills, your organizational agility, your career ambition, right? Your comfort around higher level management. All of these skills matter. And of course, there is a, just a host of personal and inter, uh, interpersonal skills, right? How approachable are you? How much compassion do you have? How is, you know, how is your boss relationship skills? How, how is your customer focus? Uh, you know, so on and so forth. Negotiation, building effective teams, uh, integrity, listening, patience, so on and so forth. So point is, you know, a lot of people spend a lot of time first going for operating skills, and that's what everybody else is learning how to do. I think you could think about making a bigger career jump by focusing on some of the, the other skills, and, you know, with, with a good amount of operating skills, right? I'm not saying ignore operating skills by no means. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is take a balanced approach to make sure that you're looking outside of operating skills to round out your personal development. So that's, that's your first tip to how do you go from being action-oriented into being more of an outcome-driven person is go develop yourself in a more rounded way. The second way is to use thinking frameworks. So I'll offer up a thinking framework today. Um, so the first part of the framework, there's a, there's a four-point framework that I'll talk about. And the first part of that framework starts at the top. When you think about it, action and activity are always at the bottom. And what's interesting is how go think, go have an honest conversation with yourself. How many people are running around doing activity today when they truly don't understand the purpose? 
And and I know you think, oh, come on, Sturge, stop it. You know, you we all know what why we're here. I don't know. Did those 28 people that were just reading those call cases, did they know what their real purpose was? Because I'll be honest with you, they couldn't have because they didn't have one. They didn't accomplish anything. They read a bunch of cases, pitched them over the fence in an email, and hoped. That's not a strategy. That's not purpose, right? I don't know what that is. It's busy work. So start everything, every outcome that you drive must have purpose. That's, this is where, th this is what gives you an outcome is fulfilling a purpose. So let's talk about the things that make up purpose. First and foremost, purpose needs to serve a human being or another set of human beings. You know, let me give you an example. A lot of people think, well, our purpose is to generate revenue. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to say no. That's not a purpose. Generating revenue is not a purpose. Generating revenue is a result of doing something that served another human being well enough to where that human being is willing to pay money for that product or service. That's how you make money, right? So you start with purpose being it needs to serve a human being. And and that that example was just Revenue, well, that's an easy one, but many people, most people's job don't directly generate revenue. So point is, don't think about your purpose as making a metric. We're going to get into metrics at the very end. It's one of the last things you look at, right? So boot up every day thinking, I need to serve a human being. I then need to offer unique value. The third thing about purpose is it then needs to be aligned to the overall group or company strategy, and it needs to be measurable. So if you don't, if you can't answer those questions, you need to figure it out for yourself or sit down with your boss and say, boss, what is our purpose? Who do we serve? What unique value do we offer them? Is that purpose in line with the company? And how do we know when we're doing it well? How do we measure that, right? So go off and go think about your purpose for an outcome. Once you have the purpose, then you need to figure out what is the big idea? How do we achieve this purpose? What's our objective, right? What will enable you to create that unique value and sustainably deliver that value to the customer in a distinct way. That is what you're going to call your customer value statement. And it outlines the high-level benefits that you are giving to that customer. So an example would be something like um, one of the groups that I worked with in the past, their purpose statement, it was a service group. So their, their purpose statement was deliver amazing customer support experience as measured by SNPS. In that very simple statement, the people that are being served are the customers of the company that, that we worked for. The unique value was deliver amazing experiences. And yes, that was aligned with our corporate strategy and how it was measurable was through this third-party customer satisfaction measurement. So that was the purpose statement. Now, the objective, how we fulfill that purpose statement was to make sure that every service experience was on time, of high quality, and low customer effort. Those, that was how we were going to fulfill 
the purpose statement. So now you have something tangible to start working with. If you can figure out how to have all of the processes and policies serve the customer such that each experience is on time, high quality, and low effort on the customer's part, we think we would win. So that's the objective. That's the second thing. Now, now that you've got the purpose and the objective, now you need capabilities, right? And capabilities are the set and configuration of supporting activities. Now we're starting to get into activity, right? These are the supporting activities required to meet your purpose as defined by your objective. And again, in the example I'm giving, the purpose is to deliver amazing customer support experiences. And the objective is by doing that with processes that are on time of high quality and low effort. So then the question becomes, okay, what are the capabilities we need in order to deliver service processes that are on time of high quality and low effort? Then, well, the generic capabilities we needed were the best people, which includes the best leaders and the most highly engaged and motivated employees. You need the best processes. You need the best tools. You need the best partners. And underpinning all this together is the best culture. And this is where you can start to now take this and break it down into some very concrete and tangible things. If you worked on any particular part of the business, you can say, you know what, I'm working on some processes here that just don't make, you know, every single time we're going to, we're not going to be on time with our service experience. So then that's something that, you know, that is a line, that's a, a purpose, that's a line that you can go off now and go work on, right? So you have to have these capabilities that allow you to deliver on-time, high-quality, and low-effort service in this example. Capabilities must deliver outcomes, and they have to deliver outcomes that matter, so think of in your head a diagram where let's say there's a there's one of these old balance scales, right? And here's here's the example I want you to think of in your head. On one side of the scale, you've got this one single gold ball. And on the other side of the scale, you might have six silver balls. The six silver balls may represent activity that just don't deliver outcomes. So therefore, none of that activity matters. But on the other side of the scale, you've got this one gold ball, and it's an outcome that matters. And guess what happens? The scale is going to tip toward the gold ball because that's the one that matters. So don't, you know, as you're going through and you're doing all the work, you're doing all the activity you're doing every day, just make sure you're not just creating another silver ball that you're throwing it up on the scale and it doesn't move the scale at all, right? I would rather go for the one goal ball that moves the scale, tips it in the right balance. So to recap so far, you start with purpose, your objective, your capabilities, and now you need a way to make sure that the efficacy of the choices that you made for the, for the capabilities and the progress toward those capabilities are measured. And we call that a management system. And this is another place where we tend to spend a ton of time just going down a rat hole, right? This is where all the complexity in the organization sits. Most of us come in here at this level and they're just running around doing stuff. And I'm not saying 
you don't need to measure your work. What gets measured gets done, right? But make sure that the, the thing that the management system helps you to figure out is, I started with, it's the efficacy of the choices you've already made, your purpose, your objective, your capabilities, right? You have to figure out a way to make sure those are the right choices and it's built into your management system. So what that management system is, it's, a, it's whatever system structures and skills that you need to put in place to know, and here, here's the killer, right? Here's the hardest question. It's to know that you are on track to deliver predictable outcomes. If you can't predictably tell, here's a, here's a funny thing. It'd be ideal if you could predictably tell your boss you're on track. It's also good to be able to predictably tell them you're off track. Hear me out on this one. How many people are actually in a position where they can't tell one way or the other, whether they're on track or off track? That means their management system is broken. If your goal and your purpose is to deliver amazing customer support experiences or whatever it is, and you're the, the, the management system you're using to do day-to-day -day work and to measure the efficacy of your choices and your progress toward that goal can't tell you predictably one way or the other whether you're on track or off track, you've got a failed management system. So yeah, sure, ideally, you can predict that you will make the mark, but don't underestimate how good of a position you're in if you can early enough predict that you're not going to make the mark so that you have time to go adjust. The idea of your management system is to measure the efficacy of your choices and your progress toward those capabilities. And again, this is where we go down the rabbit hole. People are just running around doing data gathering, reporting, data analytics, all number of things. And when you look at it, it, it doesn't tell them anything about how to help them run the business and to achieve purpose. So how do you prevent going down the rabbit hole? Well, it's simple. Go back to this framework we've talked about. Always start all activity with purpose. Come back to your objective. Look at your capabilities and then put a management system in place. Now, you may say, well, that's great, Stuart, but here's the deal. I'm at the bottom of the organization. Well, okay, fair enough. But make sure then that the, 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 what you can do is ask your boss, hey, do you have these things? Do you understand your purpose, your objectives, your capabilities, and the management systems you need? Because if, if we keep doing this upwards, ultimately you get to the top level in the organization. So let's play this in reverse. At the company level, I'm pretty sure that most companies do have a decent purpose statement, objective statement, capabilities, and management systems that they're going for. If each subsequent layer of vice presidents, organizations have that, then you now have a cascading set of choices where everything can be aligned. And yeah, guys, I know we don't live in a perfect world. And maybe in some cases, it's not that clear and perfectly aligned. I would suggest this. If it's not clear to you, don't just keep generating activity because you think, well, that was a job that I got trained to go do, right? Go think about my example of 28 people for a year. It was probably like two and a half years. That's a reality just doing stuff that added no value. And then when somebody finds out, the whole team's on the verge of getting, you know, removed. So don't be those people. Don't be that team, right? 
ask the question. These are hard questions. Don't get comfortable with doing busy work. So the question that you want to ask is, you know, do you know, do you see this cascading set of choices in this framework from top level in the org down where everybody understands their purpose, their objective, the capabilities they're driving, and how they're going to ensure that they're on track, right? So in the end, you're not down here at the bottom asking yourself, am I delivering true outcomes that matter? Or am I just down a rabbit hole performing busy work or activity that offer no value? You need to go find the answer to that question. Because here's the thing. You may think, well, what if I don't like the answer that I get? You're, you're going to be better off you finding that out before someone else finds it out and makes a choice for you. Okay. Just real quick, just to kind of sum this up. It's funny. I was listening to um, uh, an audiobook the other day and they told a story about this deep water horizon oil spill. That was that big giant mega oil platform they had out in the Gulf, you know, several years ago. And of course it, it exploded and sprung a leak. So just real quickly, a very, very, very simple example of this, this framework. So the purpose, I'm going to just start with the purpose um, after, after the explosion was to stop further human ecological and environmental damage. That could be one of the purposes there. I'm sure there were many, but that was one of the purposes that had to get fulfilled. So from there, an objective could simply be to stop the well from leaking oil into the Gulf. That could be the objective. Now, what's great about this is if you go from this purpose of stopping further human ecological and environmental damage to saying that the objective is to stopping the well from leaking oil, then there could be multiple capabilities brought to bear. They talked about, well, we could build this big cement cap and just drop it on top. Another one, which they actually tried, was to pump mud and golf balls down in the hole to just plug the hole, right? These are all capabilities that they wanted. Ultimately, in the end, they decided to put something called a smaller blowout preventer or a capping stack. And it's basically just another set of um, valves on top of this other valve that blew up that was supposed to do what it's supposed to do. It didn't work. So the capability that they needed was a smaller blowout preventer. So those are the capabilities. So when we come to the management system, remember what I said about management systems. They are supposed to help you understand the efficacy of your choices and whether you're on track to do what you promised. So if what you promised to do was stop the well from leaking oil and the capability you chose was to put a smaller blowout preventer on tap, uh, excuse me, on, you know, on top, this smaller blowout preventer had sensors in it. So it could tell them that it monitored. This is, this is the management system. It, you were able to monitor these sensors to figure out, is the blowout preventer working or not? Did we actually stop oil from leaking into the Gulf? If it didn't, they would know and they'd have to go back and try something else. Uh, fortunately, it did work. So the point is the management system is they had these sensors on this capping stack that were able to tell them, yes, this blowout preventer is the right, it was the right solution, and yes, it is working. So that's just, just a, a simple example of this framework.
let me close with a couple of stories. Um, many years ago, this manager comes to me and he said, Stu, got this top level program manager and it's review time and I can't give him a good review. I go, well, tell me what's going on. He go, I go, did, uh, my first question to him was, did he achieve the outcome he was supposed to? And the manager's answer was, well, no, he didn't. I'm like, okay, seems pretty straightforward to me. Um, why, why are you so conflicted? He goes, well, kind of talked to the guy, and here's what the guy said. The guy said he did, notice that activity word. The guy said, I did everything I was supposed to as a program manager. I go, well, wait, what, what does that mean? He goes, well, I created a charter. I created a core team. I got stakeholder buy-in. I had my core team meetings. We made sure everybody followed through on their action items. And somewhere, somewhere along the way, the project goes off track. The program manager just kept going through the motions of the project, did everything he thought he was supposed to do, but the project didn't achieve what it was supposed to achieve. In the end, this guy gets a bad review because while he thought he performed every action that he was supposed to perform, those actions didn't deliver the result based on what was going on. Didn't matter. He didn't deliver the outcomes that matter. Okay. Um, so that was program manager story. Last one I'll tell you is a story about a finance manager. So we're trying to run the business and this finance manager comes in with this canned stack of reporting that they always bringing. They've been bringing this in for several years. And at some point, the, the business acumen in the room grew to a point where this information wasn't really giving us an advantage. It really wasn't helping. I mean, it helped to a point, but at some point we needed new, different, more types of information to help us really get insights into what was driving cost and so on and so forth. And one of the leaders in the group says, well, why, why don't we have this information? Why can't we get this information? And the response back from the finance manager was, well, all our systems that we put in place are put in place to give you that other report that you have. This other report that you're looking for, this information you're looking for, it would be very manual and it's just not something we're set up to go do. And the response from the boss was, so you're telling me that you're not going to enable, so again, a customer, uh, 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 you know, a, a purpose statement of serving a human being, you're not going to enable us to make good decisions with financial information because that financial information is just hard to come by. And it's kind of a, it was kind of a shocking statement that kind of rocked the whole room, right? It's like, if you come back to a purpose statement for the finance team, it should have been provide, I don't know, I'll make something up on the fly, provide accurate, timely, relevant uh, financial insights about costs that will enable others to make, you know, better cost decisions, something like that, as opposed to them thinking, well, our job is to do this report. Ultimately, in the end, the report they were doing didn't serve someone well enough. And that person simply asked, I need something different to serve me well. And the answer was, well, that's too hard. So, Focus on outcomes, not activities. And I'll close by saying, if you focus on outcomes and not activities, some great things are going to happen. Number one is you can facilitate alignment and focus on the big picture. You can make sure that you're being relevant. 
Number two, you're going to empower people because when you tell somebody an outcome versus how, then you're giving people permission to go figure out how, go solve it, which then, number three, unlocks innovation, right? If I, don't, if I tell you I need to keep a fire burning, you're going to go find 12 different ways to keep a fire burning as opposed to me saying, go out into the forest and get some wood. You may bring back wet wood. Doesn't help, right? So you unlock innovation. Number four, if you focus on outcomes and not activities, you enable accountability. When you get people who are empowered and are thinking about how to help, then you can hold them accountable. And in the end, you can also develop. Remember, we talked about focus on broad development. You can also develop you and your team to learn how to think and how to go develop those skills that, that will help you to deliver outcomes and not focusing on activities. So guys, I hope you enjoyed this talk. Again, focus on outcomes and not activities. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this chat. And if you did, please remember to follow or subscribe to Chang Chats with Stu Chang on your favorite podcasting app. If you know someone else who may also like this podcast, please feel free to share it with them. Thanks for listening.